I'm Rachel Grimm, and welcome to the podcast with all your mind. I'm here to help us understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. All right. Good afternoon, guys. This is Rachel, and this is with all your mind. And we're on to episode two of season two. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to stuff. I have to tell you that when I was doing all this research over the summer and piling all this information up, I was like, oh man, this is going to be so boring and so nerdy that everybody's going to stop listening because it's going to be too nerdy. But I think it was just that I was reading such nerdy books (laughs) that it was just getting a little overwhelming. But now that I have it in, in the format that I need it and with the ideas and the in the different episodes. It's like, now I'm really looking forward to it. Now I'm looking forward to getting this information to you guys so that you can see, and, and maybe you don't have the same problems that I do, but so that whatever problems you have with doubts about Christianity and the history of Christianity and the way the Bible has been treated and just modern problems with it, that you can start maybe dealing with some of these things and seeing the Bible for what it is rather than what you're afraid it is or on and on and on, okay? So there's a whole bunch of stuff. But today, we are going to talk about the historical context that the Bible was written in. Kind of like what was going on at the time that the Bible was written. What was going on in the world? What was going on in Rome and Greece and China and England, and these different places that we know. But it's kind of hard to place the Bible into the context of the world sometimes, because the world of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is in ancient history. And most people do not know much about ancient history. You might know a lot about European history, post-Renaissance. You might know a lot about American history. Or if you're from another country, you might know a lot about your particular country's history. Ancient history tends to be one of those nerdy subjects that not a lot of people know a ton about. You might know words and phrases and certain ideas and maybe a little bit of literature and maybe a few places, but you can't tie together the whole world of the ancient world. We're going to help do that a little bit to put the Bible within a context Because very often, well, at least it used to be for me, I would see the world of the Bible as this little bubble in my mind, this little bubble of history way back somewhere. And everywhere around it was just blackness because I had no information about it. And so anything that I learned from evangelical sources about the history of the ancient world was all that I knew. So we're, we're going to help fix that. We're going to help put more information back there so that you have some context for who was writing the Bible, who were they writing it to, and what ideas did they have in their mind of what their world looked like. And you know, there's some stuff that's universal. Everybody poops. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that's not so universal. We live in a modern world with modern technology and modern problems. A lot of those problems people experienced in the past, but in very different ways. So that's what we're going to talk about is how to get our brains a little bit more to understanding the perspective of the writers and the readers 
of the ancient world. So I'm going to preface all of this by saying that if you want more information about the languages of the Bible, go back and listen to season one, episode one. We lay out a lot of good foundational information for the Bible, for the biblical languages, and the history behind those languages. So I'm not going to do all of that again, but I'm going to do a little recap and then we'll move on to some other historical stuff. So some broad ideas. We talked in the last episode about the Old Testament is written mostly in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic and the New Testament is written in Greek. It's very important to remember that Hebrew and Greek didn't drop from heaven. God didn't speak Greek or Hebrew in heaven and that was like the heavenly language or might have been. Hebrew might be what God speaks in heaven, but we don't know. There's no way to know that. And so we don't know if Hebrew was the language of Eden. We don't know what language Adam and Eve first spoke in the Garden of Eden. People sometimes have a hard time with that. And it might just be because you've never thought that there would have been maybe another language before that. But if that really bothers you, You might want to ask yourself, why? Why does it bother you, if it does, to say that Hebrew might not be the first language in the world, or it might not be the language of Adam and Eve, might not be the language of heaven, or any of these things? I I was thinking about why, because it used to bother me. I used to want Hebrew to be the original language of the world. And I think it was because I wanted Hebrew, and therefore Jews, and therefore Christians, to have some kind of priority in ancient history, for them to have some kind of claim to fame to being the first. And it doesn't quite make sense. We don't need that. God gave priority to Adam and Eve by making them the first people. But does it really matter what language they spoke as those first people? I don't think it really does. So don't worry. If you want it to be that way, you might just want to think through why. Um, So when people studied the Bible and studied biblical Hebrew in, say, 1850, they didn't have a whole lot to work with because they had the text of the Bible, but they didn't have a whole lot of literature outside the Bible to give them more ideas about how words were used in the Bible. There's a term, I'm going to give you a really nerdy term, Hapax legomenon, and I'm probably saying that wrong. Hapax legomenon, and all it means is a word that's used in the Bible one time, and it typically is talking about ancient literature where we only see a word used one time, and so we don't have a lot of information about that word. There is a decent amount of hapax legomenon in the Bible, so I just looked it up. And there are about, rounding, 1,500 of these one-hit wonders or one-time-only words in the Old Testament. 1,500 words that are only used one time in the whole Old Testament. And say if you use that one word in Job to talk about some creature, um, such as the Leviathan or something like that, and... Leviathan isn't one of them, but if you have a word that's only used one time and you don't have a lot of context to know exactly what that word is, 
you don't know how to translate that word. So up until the 1900s, biblical Hebrew was a very hard language to understand because we had a lot of words that we just didn't even know what they meant. And so it was pretty important that around the turn of the century, they started to find more uh, literature through archaeology in the ancient Near East, in Egypt, in Israel, and the most famous find was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they added a ton of context to biblical Hebrew. So before 1948, there was not a whole lot of context, biblical Hebrew context for understanding the language. You understand a language by reading more literature from that same time period by that same author or authors that are similar to them. There wasn't much of that. So we understand more about biblical Hebrew today in 2022 than people did back in 1850, for sure. Okay. The same thing is true for Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the language of Alexander the Great's empire. He ruled in the 330s BC and Greek of his time was really dominant in the ancient Near East for over 500 years. I think it was closer to 700 years or so. But we did not have a lot of literature or anything else in specifically Koine Greek from that time. And so before 1900, people really thought that Koine Greek or Biblical Greek was this spiritual language that had very spiritual meaning and was very specific to the Bible. And God used it and God gave it to the apostles and Paul and the disciples to write the New Testament. And then archaeology started to find specifically papyri, papyrus, plural is papyri, in the Egyptian desert because they just started to, <laughs> to look more. Archaeology is a relatively new profession. So uh, they found a whole lot, a whole, whole, whole lot of documents in different places in Egypt. And they found that, oh, this is not a special spiritual language. It was not specific to the New Testament. That was just where we had a lot of literature from. So they found receipts and inventories and a lot of business material and um, a, a decent amount of government literature too, like uh, orders to soldiers and um, troop placements and, you know, stuff like this. So after the turn of the century, 1900, we started to get a lot more information about Koine Greek. So that again, today, in 2022, we know a lot more about Koine Greek and the meaning of the words in the New Testament than people did in 1850. So archaeology is a huge benefit to biblical research, and it's adding a lot of relatively new information to the Bible. So it's good to take it into consideration. So that is just some information about the languages of the Bible. Now let's look at the times of the Bible, the historical periods where they were. And we're going to do that in two chunks, okay? I wanted to take kind of a snapshot of different time periods in the Bible and talk about what was going on in the world at those times and what was happening, what was being built, who was doing the important stuff, what kind of names would we recognize, 
and kind of be able to put the Bible into a context of the world, not just what was going on in Israel from the Bible, you know, not just what king was in Judea and what king was in Israel or the north, but what was going on in the world. How can we connect the outside world to the world of the Bible? So if you didn't listen to it, over the summer, we had our little linguistics mini-series, and this is part of where it's important if you listened. It's really helpful. So I'll just try and summarize it a little bit here. But we talked about the beginnings of written language around the world in that linguistic mini-series. A brief summary is that written language is something that we take for granted, but was a development, a new invention in ancient times and not even so ancient times. And it was an invention, written language, was an invention applied to spoken language. Spoken language is the purest form of language. Written language is just an invention added to it, used to make it different, (laughs) to make it more versatile and permanent. So we, in 2022, are a very literate and very writing-dependent culture and a very writing-dependent religion. We take very seriously our written Bible. We rely on it a lot. We expect everybody to read it a lot, which is a good thing. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It's good to read the Bible. But in ancient times, writing and written language and something being written down was not at all something that you take for granted. So our culture is just completely different in terms of just how we look at writing. So with that in mind, our modern culture puts a huge emphasis on the written word. And we, we say that the Bible puts a huge emphasis on the written word, which is not entirely true. But we do it because of verses like this. This is Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so we tend to take these verses and apply it to the written Bible, the written word of God. But that's not what they're talking about in these verses. They're talking about the spoken word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. That was written by Isaiah, who lived in about 500 BC, where it was very uncommon for the average person to be literate. They would not be relying on the written word of God. They would be relying on the spoken word of God. And so we're going to make a distinction there that the word of God or the word of the Lord is actually referring to any revelation from God. Definitely not just written, written too, but they were waiting to hear from God specifically, either through a prophet or to themselves personally or even through a priest, but they didn't have the luxury of having the Bible in a written form readily available. So in the other places, we have other verses that definitely tell us that we're talking about the 
word of the Lord in various ways, but we kind of downplay these verses. In many places, it's referring to listening to the word of God. He replied, uh, this is Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So let this take the, a bit of the pressure off of the written word of God needing to be something that it possibly can't be. And we'll get into that, what it can't be as the season progresses. I can't pack it all into this episode and I shouldn't because it'd be way too much. But we need to remember that when we're talking about the culture of the Bible, the culture that the Bible was written in was a very illiterate culture that did not have a huge emphasis on the written language. Uh, They did have a literary culture. They did have poetry. They did have literature. But the average person did not have the word of God written in their home. Okay? So we just have to keep that in mind as we talk about the cultures and historical context of the Bible. So now let's talk about language in general a little bit. So I mentioned before that I wanted to take snapshots of different historical time periods. We're going to do two. One for the time of Moses, what kind of language development was happening at the time of Moses, who was living, what was going on, and then at the time of Jesus. So dating most anything before about the reign of the kings in the Bible. So that's about 500 to 1000 BC. Dating anything before that is pretty sketchy. And part of that is because we don't have a lot of written documents. We don't have much written before that time. 1000 BC is kind of a, uh, it's a line in the sand of before that, uh, we just don't have written records a whole lot. And that's pretty universal. We don't have written records a whole lot anywhere in the world before that. Different places have more than others. But generally speaking, writing and writing down things and writing records of things before about 1000 BC wasn't a big thing. So dating is pretty sketchy, but whenever we try to date things in the Bible before 1000 BC and even after 1000 BC, we try to match it up with other kingdoms in the general area to what was happening in their kingdom because the books of the Bible often mention foreign kings and they mention their own kings and say in the first year of Uzziah as Isaiah starts out right so different things like that and then we try to match up different kings or different uh, empires like the Assyrian empire Babylonian empire all these different empires we try to line them up to see if we can possibly date things okay and that's how it usually works And the different empires that we use to date things are the Persian Empire, Babylonian Empire, the Akkadians, and we'll mention them a little bit later, and the Ugaritic city-state, Egypt, Cush, all these different places were around Israel. And we use their records, if they have any, to help us date the things that happened in the Bible. So when we're trying to figure out when did Moses live, when was the exodus out of Egypt, when did the Israelites live in Egypt, we have a couple of guesses, but I'm going to generalize it and say that Moses lived sometime between 1500 and 1200 BC 
1500 and 1200 BC. The two dates that we have for the exodus out of Egypt is 1450 BC and 1280 BC. So I'm just making it super easy numbers, 1500 and 1200. So what was going on in the world at that time? What was going on with language? Hebrew was actually a proto-Hebrew. Proto means first, meaning original. So the Hebrew that you have today, if you went to Israel and you looked around at signs, that is not the same Hebrew that Moses took his stones and chiseled into the rock, the Ten Commandments. It looked very different. Proto-Hebrew looked a little bit more like hieroglyphics. It looks more like um, symbols rather than lines. That was the time of Moses. There was Proto-Hebrew. Modern Hebrew, or what they call square script Hebrew, came around about 500 BC, so about a thousand years later. In Egypt, the pyramids and the Sphinx had already been built a thousand years before Moses. So if you ever hear theories about the Israelites being the slaves that built the pyramids, not true because they had already been around for a thousand years. Hieroglyphics had already been in use for 2,000 years. So Egypt, a very literate society, had already been using hieroglyphics for 2,000 years. So something to think about, would Moses have learned hieroglyphics when he was living in Egypt? Almost definitely. Another old one that's older than Moses, Stonehenge. Stonehenge was completed around 2500 BC, a thousand years before Moses. So people were doing stuff in the world, but it was pretty primitive stuff. Good science, but they didn't have the engineering capabilities to make things like, okay, that's not true. Stonehenge and the pyramids are pretty impressive, right? But they don't have elevators. <laughs> they don't have electricity, but pretty cool stuff is happening in the ancient world. If you've ever heard of the Code of Hammurabi, he was a Babylonian king and he was the first guy to really came up with a really good code of law that gave justice to the people. That was Hammurabi. And he wrote his code about the time of Moses. So that's something to tie in with the time of Moses. And then I have a couple of pharaohs and queens of Egypt and their names are very familiar, and they're about the time of Moses, like within 100, 200 years or so. So we have Nefertiti, she was Queen Nefertiti, Amenhotep, and Tutankhamun were all from about the time of Moses, like within 100, 200 years. Think about the sarcophagus of Tutankhamun, very fancy, gold, very intricately done. That was done about the time of Moses. So Egypt's had it going on <laughs> when Moses was there. He was not in some primitive place and neither were the Israelites. On a whim, I looked up Angkor Wat. Does anybody know Angkor Wat? Uh, it's a temple complex in Cambodia. It's really cool looking. And I thought, hmm, I wonder how old that is. That is from 1200 BC, time of Moses. That is a Hindu temple system. That religion, Hinduism, is as old as Moses. Let's see what else. So I looked up other religious leaders and religious figures in the world, and I wanted to know when 
they would have been around. And one of these names is not religious, but so I looked up Confucius, Buddha, and Sun Tzu. <laughs> Sun Tzu, Art of War, not religious, but still interesting. Um, they were all from the 500s BC, so a thousand-ish years after Moses. And here's another one. This is my last, okay, not the last one, almost the last one, that Ryan insists that I include. And I said, nobody's going to know that. And he said, you got to put it in anyway, because it's so important. Okay, so here's Ryan's fact. The end of the Iron Age was about 1200 BC, and the beginning of the Bronze Age started. Okay, so the Iron Age, as it suggests, tools were made out of iron. And Bronze Age was when people started to figure out how to use bronze. What is important, especially important, is that the Iron Age didn't just end, it collapsed. Historians don't really know what happened, but a lot of civilizations that are mentioned in the Bible, um, like the, oh, I forget. See, this is Ryan's information, not mine. So it's in his brain. He'll, he'll tell me later. Uh, there's some civilizations that are mentioned in the Bible or that were important for understanding Israelite culture or language ceased to exist. They just kind of disappeared and whole civilizations, whole empires just collapsed. Like their government just fell apart and they fell off the map and nobody knows why. There are several theories, volcanic eruptions, major earthquakes, blah, blah, blah. But this all happened right around or right after the time of Moses. And he was just talking to me about this last night. And he was like, huh. And we were talking about different dates of different things happening in the Bible. And he's like, oh, you know what? The time of the judges. You remember that book? Judges, crazy times, um, concubines getting cut up and sent all over the land. It's just like disgusting, brutal times. That would have been right after the collapse of the Iron Age when everything would have been super chaotic. Super chaotic politically, super chaotic economically. Just the refrain of the book of Judges is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> Maybe because there was no empires going on to have any law and order. So just there you go. End of the Iron Age, the collapse of the Iron Age. And the beginning of the Bronze Age, right after Moses, right after the people of Israel are getting into the promised land and fighting all of these battles. Okay, and last one, the first Olympics was in 776 BC. So 500-ish years after Moses was the first Olympics. Okay, so that is kind of like to try and get your brain into a perspective of seeing the Bible within a context of the world around it. And what was it going on with literature, with writing? Well, Mesopotamia or the ancient Near East had a lot of literary cultures. In the world at the time of Moses, there were only a few written languages, but the system of the alphabet having a letter equal a sound was first invented in Mesopotamia. So alphabets began in Moses' neighborhood just a few hundred years before he lived. How convenient for the Bible, <laughs> right? How convenient that a, a whole system was invented right before God wanted to start putting together a whole system of a religion, 
for people. Okay, so here's some fun facts about language. Of the 10 oldest written languages in the world, nine are from the ancient Near East. And when I say ancient Near East, I'm talking about between Turkey and Iran. So Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, that whole area. Nine out of 10 of the world's most ancient languages, written languages, sorry, written languages are from Mesopotamia. So when we think about writing and literature, when we talk about it, well, what do you think of when you hear the word literature? Who do you think of that has literature? I automatically think of England, Great Britain, with English literature of the 1800s, right? With Dickens and, oh, I can't even think now. I'm, a, I'm so deep into biblical culture and language that I didn't think about this. But anyway, I think about English literature, uh, Shakespeare, you know, all that stuff. But when you think of writing specifically, you should think Middle East. Their literary culture is huge, 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 huge. They have poetry, epics, stories, legends, and Arabic. I don't know if you know about this about Arabic, but Arabic's really cool. I really love Arabic. I would really love to learn Arabic. Arabic um, makes pictures with their writing because it's such a flowy script. It's a very beautiful script. So they actually make art with their Arabic script. Okay, enough with Moses time. Now we're going to jump to Jesus time. Okay, world history and language development at the time of Jesus. Just to remind you, the time of Jesus is between BC and AD. He was not born at zero AD. It's probably like two or three or four AD. Um, but I don't know how to call that. It's not the turn of the century. It's like the turn of the millennium. But in Egypt, the Rosetta Stone, what helped us to finally decipher hieroglyphics, was carved in 196 BC. So about 200 years before Jesus was born. Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 BC. And in 30 BC, Egypt became a province of the Roman Empire. Something I don't usually remember is that Egypt was conquered by other empires. I, I just forget about that. So in the 30s and 40s BC is when Cleopatra and Mark Antony lived. And then I have some Roman Empire facts. In the 50s BC is when Julius Caesar lived. So if you remember the play Julius Caesar by Shakespeare, that was from before the time of Jesus, just 50 years or so. AD 6 is when Judea, so southern Israel, became a Roman province. AD 79 is when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And around this time, around that same time, is when we have the first historical mention of Germanic tribes. So I'm not talking about Southern Europe. I'm talking about Northern Europe, like Scandinavia, because that's where Germanic tribes originated, was up in Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, all that area. So we didn't even know, and by we, I mean the Roman Empire in that area, didn't know that Germanic tribes even existed until Jesus' time. Uh, spoiler alert for, uh, for Rome, you get, you get sacked by those people in 400s AD. And then going off to China, 
China had been a united empire for hundreds of years before Jesus. Before that, it had been rival states. So when you think about China as it is today, a huge country covering uh, many different ethnic groups and covering the rough territory that it does today, that didn't come about until about, I think it was about 300 BC. And it had been rival states before that. And the construction on the Great Wall of China started in the 200s BC. So it wasn't completed for many, many, many years, but it started construction in the 200s BC. Okay. So all this is to say that we need to remember to put the stories and concepts of the Bible into a historical and cultural setting. And remember that the writers of the Bible had a a pretty big literary tradition they were working from. They had the equivalent of inside jokes and ways to remind their readers of other events or other literature. And if you listen to or are familiar with the Bible Project, they're the people that put videos online for understanding the Bible. You can look them up on YouTube. I listen to their podcast, though I haven't for a month or two. They call this hyperlinking. If you think of a hyperlink online where you can just click something and it takes you to a different article or a different website to give you further information about something, the Bible Project talks about hyperlinking in the Bible when biblical writers use a phrase that is meant to remind you of a different story or a different concept within the Bible, something that their readers would know. Such as if I say four score and seven years ago, I know you're now thinking about Lincoln, Gettysburg Address, Civil War, slavery. There's a collection of ideas right there that I automatically make you think of with that phrase. Biblical writers did the same thing to help their readers or their listeners, as it was usually the case, think of a very specific situation or concept or principle from somewhere else in the Bible. So that Bible project calls that hyperlinking. So biblical writers had cultural norms that they were taking for granted that their readers and listeners would understand quickly and easily. And that's going to be our next episode is we're going to take an example of a very basic cultural concept from the Old Testament and how we totally don't have any concept for it. We have no context for it. And it's very hard for us to understand And because of that, we get mysticism and Gnosticism and secret stuff and mysterious blah, 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 and thinking that God is much more mysterious than he could be. (laughs) God's mysterious. We'll never understand him fully, but we can understand the Bible better and understand lots of things much better. So that's what we're going to do in the next episode is we're going to take one concept and just explain the cultural context of it. And suddenly we understand so much more about the Bible. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to that one with you guys. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned and I hope you have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Bye.